So there's this um, kind of media going around right now. There was an article, there are a lot of people talking about it in different places that, that's talking about how um, professors and teachers are worried that their students will share live streamed or internet teaching materials on the web and they're afraid that it in particular that that will be shared with with right-wing sites who will um, accuse the professors of teaching a radical agenda and so on and so one of the primary things I do here at New Discourses is try to explain why things like this make sense rather than just dunking on them from a perspective of uh, the theory of, of critical social justice um, which this can be explained and it is is clarifying for how critical social justice theory thinks so I want to do that but I want to of course let's not be hasty let's be fair um, professors and teachers are actually gen they, they do have a genuine concern here for a couple of, of reasons so i don't want to be unfair to our, our friends who are professors and teachers one genuine concern is that as they said that they're afraid that it'll be given to right-wing sites is that many of these sites contributing to the exact problem that i want to try to correct in our society have a bad habit of taking things out of context and misrepresenting them or cherry picking, or as it's sometimes called, nut picking, the most extreme examples to try to point out why uh, or how crazy the, their opponent side is. And that's actually not fair. I wouldn't want to be a teacher or professor who's having to watch every word I say, lest some kind of vulture of a media site is likely to pick apart what I'm saying. And I think. Most of my conservative friends would realize that the exact same thing, or religious friends in particular, would, would, would feel the exact same way if they thought that an outlet like BuzzFeed or Vox was going to be picking over every minute of every lecture that they give, trying to paint them as some kind of a lunatic. And so there's a justifiable complaint there, or concern there. Uh, similarly, um, as far as like teachers not at the collegiate level go, there's a real concern because parents are notoriously awful to teachers and um, having a bunch of, of parents watching every minute of your instruction and then filing complaints against you is, we'll just say, demoralizing is, is a very generous and kind way to put how that would be taken. So there's a legitimate concern there as well. Um, everything kind of gets taken out of context and everything is sort of uh, ridiculous. So there are, are realistic concerns here with the fear of, of putting online teaching materials out there where parents and in particular right-wing or other media sites can comb through them. Now, of course, the context in which these things are being shared with me is that people are interpreting this also justifiably as that the professors are afraid that they're, uh, social justice, uh, if you will, almost indoctrination methods or the radicalization methods, the critical theory, frankly, that they're teaching, or the postmodern theory that they're teaching will be revealed and they won't be able to hide it behind closed doors. Now, this is actually a legitimate problem and the, the theory of social justice thinks in a way that generates this problem. So they are 
the people who are delivering this this information to me and from what I'm seeing around it uh, also have a legitimate point to be made here, which is that critical social justice does tend to do this. Um, they don't like to be seen what they're they, they don't like to be seen in what they're doing, uh, particularly in certain contexts like classrooms and board meetings. And it's a little complicated because they actually do think that they're right. I mean, absolutely right, on the right side of history, right. And they love to shout from the rooftops what they're doing in a metaphorical sense. Um, it's written in page after page after page of their scholarly and activist literature. Student activists routinely record themselves providing the internet with lots of video that just shows how um, bad critical social justice ideas can be when they're put into action. You see examples like complaining that too many uh, white people are spending time in particular university spaces and need to think of somewhere else to be. And you see uh, examples kind of across the board where, where these, you know, Evergreen had a lot of footage. The Evergreen State College, which collapsed, had a ton of footage of what happened. There were these activists just behaving in the most absurd ways. And you think to yourself, how in the world did so much footage of this come out? And it was the students themselves were filming things and filming themselves and thinking that they were, were were showing the world what good activists they are and how they're fighting for the right side of history. And so there's a lot of tendency to, to want to show some of the stuff that's going on. But that's not what happens at the administrative level, and that's not what's going to happen with educators, uh, especially if they dabble in the administrative level, where it's a lot more secretive. Um, in fact, if you if you look at examples where they've sought to institutionalize critical social justice policy, like at Evergreen and uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention, for example, um, a shockingly high percentage of the time, what you will notice is that they uh, fail to provide the information for whatever policy changes that they're they're offering until very short notice, or maybe they never give it, and then they uh, tend to rush the vote or pin it into a very short time frame or make sure there's very little or no discussion to be had on it. And all of these can, things can be explained within the context of, of critical social justice theory. Um, there are reasons. There, the mindset of critical social justice actually lends itself to this kind of behavior. Uh, to, to kind of just give the two examples I mentioned at the Evergreen State College when they were introducing their equity plan, one of the things that they did was that they didn't send out the equity plan to be voted upon by the faculty until something like the night before, and then the link they sent was dead. And until, uh, now rather famously, until Brett Weinstein pressured to get that uh, document, the actual thing that was going to change the direction of the college, as we've now seen how it changed the direction of the college disastrously, uh, as he, he pre had to pressure to get the actual thing, and then he himself distributed it to the faculty. And um, then it was, it was put to a vote in a very odd situation where the pressure to vote against it was, was um, the pressure to not vote against it, I should say, was so immense that nearly everybody voted for it. Uh, with, with the Southern Baptist Convention and Resolution 9, which they instituted last year, um, there were a number of resolutions, something like 12 or 13 that day, and they spent the entire day on the first eight resolutions so that there are only a few minutes left in the convention. 
by the time they introduced Resolution 9, but instead of introducing Resolution 9, they introduced Resolutions 9 through 13 as a block and wanted to just vote on them and have no debate, but the Resolution 9 was to introduce um, critical race theory and intersectionality as analytical tools subordinate to scripture throughout the Southern Baptist Convention and its seminaries. And um, to give that rather sweeping change in a, such a conservative, such a progressive idea in such a conservative environment, to give that no time or space for discussion um, is is genuinely shocking. Um, and the, the it would be shocking enough on its own if it weren't the kind of thing that happens over and over and over again, but it does happen over and over again. So the question comes, you know, well, why do they do this? They, they, they truly believe that they're on the right side of history, that theirs is the right course of action, that they think that what they're doing should be implemented and it's good and it's necessary for everybody. So why on earth do they um, hide like this? And it can be understood by understanding the theory, the way the theory thinks. You see, theory actually predicts pushback and resistance against it. As a matter of fact, because it gets a ton of it, as it should, because it's not even based in reality and often has evidence against it, they, they, the theory is just rife with ideas. The amount of stuff, the amount of time and, and, and theory and effort that they dedicate to saying that people aren't going to agree with this, and here's why, and the reasons are all somehow self-serving for theory. I mean, it's just a staggering amount of the time that they spend theorizing. The the amount of literature, books, papers, concepts, ideas that they dedicate to this particular thing that people aren't going to like theory and it must be for bad reasons, not because theory itself is bad, but for, for bad, selfish, or um, deluded, brainwashed, whatever you have, false consciousness is the term under Marxism. Uh, reasons that, that that's why people would push back against it. So the riddle can be solved of why they are so self-sure, righteous activist and so on, why they put up videos of themselves being activists and screaming for this stuff, why they write it on every page of their literature. But the second it shows up in an administrative setting or perhaps is going to be live streamed from a classroom or perhaps they're going to have a diversity meeting at your work and <laughs> see if you can film one of those. Uh, see what they say to that, um, that that's going to get shut down real quick. They're not going to let you film it. They don't want that getting out there. Uh, this can be understood. Um, and it's because they expect resistance and pushback, and theory predicts that all such resistance and pushback is unfair, that it's unjust, that it is a symptom of the disease it's trying to fix. So they're trying to sidestep that as they implement it in places that matter while they can shout the theory and write the theory over and over again from other perspectives. So the idea there is that the theory predicts that there's going to be a pushback. Um, they think that society is cover has this hegemonic uh, set of ideologies that, that keep racism and sexism and all these un injustices in place, and that people have bought into those, people have internalized them. If they're in a dominant group, as they call it, they've internalized dominance and think that dominance is natural and normal. If they're in a oppressed group, as they call them, they think that they, they, they say that people who accept this have internalized their oppression and they think that it's just how things are and how it should be. And um, that creates this 
hegemony that that controls all of society that that's how power actually works and so any pushback that occurs even though it in reality is to the fact that they are pushing what amounts to as has been phrased about other things um, the mother load of bad ideas that it's a nightmare uh, and doomed to fail it's unrealistic it it, it, it's all theoretical and abstract and disconnected from reality. Uh, but, but all pushback must be unfair and in service of supporting the hegemony, because that's what theory says is how hegemony works. Um, this actually creates a really difficult situation, and they leverage it very well um, because they expect their pushback, and they write copious amounts saying there will be this pushback, and this is what it'll look like, and people will resist in these ways. And then what they do is they take a step further, and they say, well, when they resist in these ways, it's this. Maybe it's called Privilege Preserving Epistemic Pushback. That's from a scholar named Allison Bailey. Maybe it's called uh, White Ignorance or White Ignorance or Race Ignorance or Color Ignorance or Color Talk or Race Talk or White Talk. All of these different ideas, those mostly come from the, the theorist uh, Barbara Applebaum, who wrote mostly about white complicity, uh, which is the idea that, that white people are all complicit in holding upholding the system of racism that holds down other people, especially black people. Um, so the, maybe it's white fragility. Maybe it's the idea that there will be emotional reactions. to People will have an emotional reaction when you accuse them of being a racist in front of other people in particular, and that they won't like that. And, and so any emotional reaction is then to, under the idea of white fragility. An emotional reaction exposes your white fragility, and white fragility is, is a product of being uh, made made emotionally weak under uh, and and proud under the auspices of your white privilege. Um, the the actual terms they use for this is that you lack racial stamina and racial humility, and therefore you are unable to endure racial stress. So you are emotionally fragile if by virtue of being white and therefore by having white privilege, and therefore you have emotional reactions. So if you have any kind of reaction according to the theory of white fragility other than positive and enthusiastic affirmation that the accusation of your complicity in racism is correct, then you are exhibiting white fragility and therefore you are actually part of the problem it's trying to address. And the accusation of racism or complicity with racism or white supremacy was accurate. That's actually the way that the white fragility theory works. So you have all of these concepts like this that they've come up with that say that, oh yeah, there's going to be resistance. And the resistance is going to come, and it's going to look like this. It's going to be an emotional reaction. It's going to be white girls' tears. It's going to be something like that, or the emotion, or it's going to be some kind of philosophical argument back. That's where privilege-preserving epistemic pushback comes in from Allison Bailey. That's the idea that that people are going to get critical social justice stuff fed to them in their classes. She specifically calls them philosophy classes, which is a stretch because she mostly means feminist and intersectional uh, classes critical race theory classes and, and critical whiteness classes. And they're going to be fed these these critical social justice ideas like that there's this massive system of racism and they're going to reject it. And the reason that they're rejecting, and they're going to reject it in particular ways with philosophical arguments um, by coming back and, and bringing up things like the use mention gap. Oh, well, I didn't say the N-word. I mentioned that people say the N-word, for example. And that's different. And then but no, you had to say the N-word to say to, to mention the N-word, and so on and so forth. All of this, that is all an act, activity of trying to push back against the critical social justice mindset in order to maintain one's privilege. Again, that 
hegemony is always working to preserve itself. That's the, the, the centerpiece of how critical social justice theory works. And so when you understand this, they know that there's going to be some kind of pushback. Um, the, the racist, uh, patriarchal, cis, heteronormative, inequitable status quo is being maintained by those people who benefit from it most, even if that's done implicitly. There's your idea of implicit bias, by the way. And because they really have convinced themselves, and they, they genuinely believe this, people don't actually understand this, the, the, the theorists genuinely believe that society is organized with these systems of power that seek to maintain dominance for the dominant, even if they are doing so unconsciously or, or subconsciously. That's, again, your false consciousness idea that, that came, they, they've taken from Marxist thought and, and even from, from neo-Marxist thought uh, from critical theory. So they really do think that society operates that way, and they think so to such a degree that they can't even fathom. They can't even contemplate the idea that their ideas might actually just be bad that their ideas might not be evidenced, even though they actively reject evidence as being part of the hegemonic force that uh, they're trying to resist. So the way they interact with evidence, of course, is that when evidence supports their case, they, they point at it endlessly. And when the evidence points against their case, they say that it was just a part of the, the dominant system producing knowledge in an unfair way so that uh, it can maintain itself. And again and again, they, they think this way so truly and deeply that they can't even contemplate the idea that they're wrong, which is exactly why their theory is bad. So you can now you can see the, 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 the self-fulfilling prophecy that you can see the trick in here, but they're not tricking us, meaning everybody else. They're tricking themselves into believing that any resistance against theory is the result of power dynamics trying to maintain themselves and never the result of the ideas themselves being bad or lacking evidence or being unrealistic or something like that. It's always that power is trying to maintain itself. And so when they predict correctly that there will be pushback or resistance or rejection of their ideas, and then that manifests because their ideas are wrong or often abusive or uh, bullying or completely unfair, unreasonable, unrealistic, unevidenced. I did the whole list just goes on and on. When <laughs> when they when that pushback arrives, they've got a staggering list of concepts that they can deploy various types of ignorance. I mentioned white ignorance. There's willful ignorance you've heard of, which would be, you know, not knowing and not wanting to know. There's active ignorance, which is pretty much the same thing, but slightly different. There's pernicious ignorance, which it's a little bit even nastier, which upholds epistemic oppression. And it just goes on and on and on and on. White people have a racial contract to keep white supremacy in place through a thing that clearly doesn't exist called white solidarity. Um, People engage. It's just one idea after another. You can actually go go look at the um, terms that start with the word white that I've put in translations from the Wokish, the, the social justice encyclopedia that I'm making of their terminology. And you start to just get a sense of how many of these ideas kind of interlock together and just make it absolutely impossible for them to believe that their ideas might just be bad, and that's why people would reject them, that it's always a conspiracy by the powerful in society. Not an intentional conspiracy, but one that works through hegemony and ideology and believing that dominance is natural and normal, and it's just how society is, a status quo. 
Um, they just cannot possibly fathom the idea that they're wrong, but they know that people are going to resist it. So when you think about that, if you're trying to implement your program, maybe it's an equity program, maybe you've got a task force for equity and you're going to try to implement this in schools and you absolutely know people are going to push back and your theory has told you they're going to push back. It's going to look like this. And here's actually what it is. That's just a distraction. It's in fact, allowing that to occur is supporting the hegemony. It's supporting the powerful interests in society by even allowing that pushback to manifest because it might have some degree of possibility. You are actually, from their perspective, from the perspective of the theory of critical social justice, you are actually enabling dominance to maintain itself. The thing that's at the center of everything for their belief system. So you can't allow that pushback to occur. You can't allow it to come up because that is just another manifestation of the system and the system is is basically out to cheat them. It's out to stop them from instituting their radical agenda. Not because it's radical, not because it's a set of bad ideas, not anything of that kind, but because dominant systems just do that. I mean, this is to the point where they've defined the word engagement to, to mean agreement. You, if you disagree with the theory of critical social justice, they will tell you that you haven't engaged with it properly, whether it was due to you having a lack of racial humility or being unable to endure the racial stress or lacking the racial stamina to do so, or some other reason that something like that, you were unable to fear of your, your loss of, of, of privilege, right? You're, you're going to have your white comfort upset. You're going to have white equilibrium broken. They have concept after concept for this. The idea that that if you didn't agree with them, it was because you had some either unconscious, implicit, self-serving, cynical, whatever motive not to take their ideas seriously. So you haven't properly engaged with their ideas until you have done so with the critical consciousness that would ensure that you agree with them. This is literally the way they think about the world. And again, if you don't, if you think this way and you don't prevent, if you don't do everything you can to prevent that pushback from occurring, this isn't just a nasty little political move. There's a theoretical reason in the entire worldview for it. If you allow that pushback to come, which has been theorized, you're actually enabling the hegemony. You're actually enabling dominant groups to continue their dominance, which is the thing you're trying to stop. So you have to minimize how much pushback can occur. So when you have your equity plan going out, that pushback is going to just be dominant groups doing their dominant group thing. So the most important thing to do is to send it as late as possible and not include a functioning link. If you can get away with it, try to hide it, blah, 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 and then create an environment when it's going to be voted upon and implemented that makes it almost impossible to disagree with it for, for social reasons or whatever, moral reasons or whatever. And thus, you minimize the amount of that pushback that upholds the status quo that arises. That's genuinely how they think about this stuff. So when you go to implement a resolution to introduce critical race theory and intersectionality, maybe it is more political in the, in the Southern Baptist Convention. It tends to be a very political organization. But the idea is still that you, if you are actually working in, in the cause of critical social justice and diversity and equity, the, then 
you have to minimize the ability for dominance to assert itself, not as a reasonable disagreement, but as dominance. And all disagreement is dominance asserting itself as dominance according to the way critical social justice theory thinks. So the reason that or a reason that, aside from the, the good legitimate ones we started with, that you would see that the teachers right now not wanting their their college classes in particular uh, put on the internet because right-wing media might get a hold of them, despite legitimate concerns, is that they will mount that same kind of pushback, which is dominance asserting itself over the poor, oppressed, critical social justice worldview that just wants to help the minorities and so on that they claim that they're pushing um, because they can only think in terms of systems of power in which dominance always tries to assert itself and maintain itself over the oppressed and things that speak on, on the behalf or claim to speak on the behalf of the oppressed. So to avoid that always, in their view, always unfair pushback that upholds dominance by its very nature, they have to hide at the institutional level when it comes to either administrative or, in this case, uh, streaming of college classes. Um, so what you should take away from this, then, is trying to understand a couple of things. First, that this is really how they think about the world. And second, that as a result, this is why we can't take them seriously. You cannot take something seriously that refuses to engage with any kind of criticism, that calls any kind of criticism a failure itself to engage. There, there's no possible way that a theory that thinks this way or a theorist a person who thinks this way. There's no possible way that they could correct their bad ideas. They can only increase the, the view that they, they can only winnow deeper into their own view unless they happen to come across a right idea by accident. Uh, we, we, we know that to get to right ideas, we get there by legitimate credit, by engaging legitimately with, with legitimate criticism by, uh, Putting, pitting our ideas against evidence by by hashing them out using reasoned arguments and di, uh, di, uh, dialogue and debate. You have to be able to put your idea up to be knocked down in order to know that it's any good. And if you think that every, if you if your theory works in a way that every possible attempt to knock it down must be illegitimate somehow, it must be the thing you're trying to take down asserting itself then you have no corrective mechanism. You have no ability to get to right answers about the world. And so you end up creating this vicious circle where you create worse and worse ideas and you give people no reason to trust that those ideas are any good. And then you predict that people will resist those ideas or reject those ideas, but for the wrong reasons. You predict not that they're going to reject them because they're bad or unevidenced or arrived at by bogus methods like making things up and then creating the argument to support your conclusion, uh, which I have some experience with. It's not that. It must be that there is some self-serving motive instead that's causing it. And so you have absolutely no corrective. So they can predict that somebody's going to resist these ideas and say that they're only going to resist them for bad reasons and that those reasons are the exact thing that you need to fight. And the, the, that's why you can't take them seriously. They really think this way. And the only way to deal with it, because you can't criticize it 
is to expose it and explain that this is really how they think and then not take it seriously and, and adopt alternatives. So they want to talk about social justice. Well, social justice is a real concept that goes way beyond the confines of the way critical social justice talks about it. So we can talk about issues around identity or we can talk about issues around uh, economic class or whatever. And there, there are real issues of social justice. And we can talk about them in other ways that do admit criticism, that do allow them to be falsified, that do follow evidence, that, that in fact put evidence ahead of the activism rather than following the activism. And that's all you can do is not take these immature, unserious methods seriously. Recognize them for what they are, not take them seriously, and step away from them for methods that are serious, even if those return conclusions that don't match what you think is the case about the world. Um, so teachers not wanting to have their classes live streamed, there is some legitimacy to their concerns. As I said, um, right-wing media does not have a great track record in being responsible stewards of that kind of information. And they do nutpick. They do treat it unfairly. They do blow things out of proportion. Um, furthermore, uh, taking things out of context in any case like that can can make a, a program look worse than it is. And that's that's not fair. And nobody would want to deal with that level of scrutiny. But that said, when the ideas in particular might be related to critical social justice, there are th theoretical reasons. When I say theoretical, I basically mean the, the heart of their faith, their theology in uh, critical social justice that tell, tell them that such a move to, to show what they're doing is a mistake because it will generate the pushback that that maintains the hegemony that they think that they're trying to fight. And so um, that's kind of a summary of that issue. And I know there's a lot to say and think about with it, but it, it really is worth trying to understand what's going on and not just think that they're running some kind of a, you know, political secrecy thing like they're indoctrinating your kids and they don't want you to see that it's probably not that it's probably that they're teaching things and they know some of it will get taken out of context and cause them lots of unnecessary problems online harassment probably for sure stop doing that really um but then they also believe that it will give dominance a chance to reassert itself and therefore they render themselves unserious to the degree that they do that. 